Welcome to the Startup Tank Climate Investor Pitch Show, the premier online startup pitch contest where top climate tech and impact founders pitch VCs looking to fund world positive companies. If you're a founder looking for funding or a climate or impact investor interested in joining and investing alongside forward VCs, syndicate, and companies that move the world forward, please visit thestartuptank.com for more details and to apply. But now it's time to enter the tank. Hey guys, welcome to the Startup Tank, the Climate Investor Pitch Show, presented by us here at Forward VC and our Climate Techies community. If you haven't tuned in, we do this every two weeks. It's Shark Tank or Dragon Stand for climate companies. We bring on the world's top climate VCs alongside four to six top pre-seed to pre-series A climate companies, try to get some deals done. If you want to find out more about us or have a chance to pitch in the future, the startuptank.com. And all this is brought to you guys by Forward VC, the ultimate accelerator and climate tech ecosystem. If you want to join potentially our partner in Climate Accelerator, we bring one to two companies in a month and help them with growth, scaling, uh, acquiring customers, partners, pilots, and ultimately fundraising, of course. And if you want to find out a bit more about us, our Climate Techies community of 3,000 plus founders, VCs, corporates, government agencies, et cetera, network, find potential partners, and do anything that you can to collaborate your gig in the climate space forward. Our resource hub is probably the best place to do that. Forward.vc slash techies hub. There you can find our climate solutions database, our climate VC database, and pretty much any other database you could ever hope to find at forward.vc slash techies hub. And so during the show, I've got joined by a couple of incredible investor panelists. I'm going to give them a chance to uh, represent themselves and their fund in a second. And then the startups, they'll have five minutes to pitch to our panel of terrifying sharks who will uh, then uh, cut apart the pitches. We'll give a bit of feedback, a bit of Q&A. And at the end of the session, we'll pick our startup of the night. So first things first, Nada, if you want to share a little bit more about Nomia and what you guys are doing so that people know exactly what to expect. Sure, I'm happy to. So thanks, Matt, for having me for the second time on the Startup Tank. And hi, everyone. I'm Nadav Steinmetz. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Nomea, which is an early stage climate tech fund uh, based in London, where we invest in early stage businesses uh, that have significant decarbonization potential across uh, the climate tech space. Uh, we're, we're based in London. We like uh, uh, quite a lot of deep tech and hardware, um, let's say, uh, uh, in, in very different from the traditional VCs. Uh, and we focus on businesses that are scalable with attractive unit economics and business models. I'm also the managing partner of Climate First, which is uh, the largest climate tech accelerator in Israel uh, that supports early stage uh, businesses on their mission to, to reduce emissions. So I'm very happy to be here. And we're very happy to have you. And John, you have a little bit of transition, but you want to share your background? Oh, John, we can't hear you quite yet. Is this better? Much better. Okay, perfect. And thanks, Matt, for having me. Uh, yeah, so for the last few years, I, I've been working as a senior investment manager at Aquaspark, where a venture capital fund focusing exclusively on sustainable aquaculture. But of course, the whole value chain from feed to health to hardware, software, novel farm systems, uh, around half a billion uh, euro fund right now. Uh, and we invest from seed to series B, basically. 
Um, but actually from this week, uh, I'm starting a new project uh, and beginning to syndicate my own deals in the climate uh, space more globally. Um, so yeah, expanding my focus basically. Very, very exciting. And aquaculture might play very nicely into what uh, Aqualitas is doing. If you guys didn't hear, one of the graduates of our partner in climb program, Aqualitas and Georgi, they're going to be talking about the future of aquaculture so we can save fish from dying. But Nick, uh, you want to share more about Spin Ventures so people have some context? Hi, Matt. Thank you for having us. And hi, everyone. It's, it's great to be here. It's my first time, so I am very excited. Uh, so I'm the um, founder, managing partner at Spin Ventures. Spin Venture is an ecosystem um, on a mission to accelerate transition to circularity. So we have an accelerator, we have what we call the corporate engagement unit, and then we have um, the investment units uh, now turning into a VC fund. Um, it's an ecosystem model. So we, you know, grow companies, invest in them, and then uh, forge strategic partnership with large group in order to drive scale. Um, we um, sharply focus on um, circularity in the consumer and retail space. So we're looking at um, speed, uh, pre-series A, series A, um, innovators in uh, bioregenerative materials, decarbonized supply chain, uh, new marketplaces, new business models that apply to the consumer and retail industry, all the e-commerce, all the reverse vending, reverse logistics. And um, we, I guess, uh, we've sort of been working on the sector for a few years. We have eight ventures on um, eight ventures on board um, and um, very, very exciting to be here with you guys so looking forward to hearing the pitch and uh, doing more of this thank you matt and thank you everyone and we are super excited to have you on board and anyone who's disappointed that fractalytics isn't here that is my fault that has nothing to do with the company i forgot we changed the date because they were getting so much traction on the on the pilots and what they were setting up with their new uh their new beta program basically helping companies to right size the heat pump because it turns out when you're installing a heat pump you don't exactly know how much heating you need and everything is being over installed because let's over insure things which means that it's incredibly expensive even when it shouldn't be to make the clean energy transition so they'll actually be pitching next month for the, the misfire on the email side i apologize as you can see i'm only human and only have a, a halfway decent sense of humor anyways you guys didn't come here for shitty jokes you guys came here for awesome companies and great feedback so that's um let's kick things off and get right into into it. I want to say uh, I want to say Nick was asking if he could uh, potentially go first, right? Leafer, Upwork for climate companies, you want to want to take things away and share what you're doing. You'll have 5 minutes on the clock and then the the terrible bell of of stopping will go off and it is time for the the questions. 10 minutes or so of Q&A. You ready uh ready to jump in? Yeah, uh, I can kick off so let me just share my screen. Awesome. And I will try to give you a one minute warning so you know to speed things up if you're a little behind. Okay. Um, just bear with me. Looking good. Take it away. Climate freelancing. Okay. Awesome. So, hi, everyone. Thank you for the time. Thanks, Matt. So, I'm Nick Valencia. I'm the founder of Leafa. Um, I guess just start by saying so I'm up here with a few other really awesome startups and it's an exciting time um and we are talking before the call about wildfires and i think the summer has been really one for extreme heat extreme weather events um and i think there's a general sense that 
people have woken up in the space to what needs to happen. And um, there's a huge amount of funding coming into the climate space. So trillions of funding from the IRA and the states and then in the EU as well, favorable policy, um, regulation, and more companies are now committing to net zero. Um, and so things seem like they're kicking into gear. And in fact, the IPCC has said that we have the technology and the innovation to actually deliver on net zero. But this isn't what's currently happening. And I think there's a bit of an elephant in the room when it comes to climate change. And that elephant is this, that if you're a company trying to decarbonize, if you're a head of sustainability or a head of procurement, you cannot find the skill sets that you need to deliver on net zero. And this is a major issue, and it is what is holding back a lot of companies' climate projects. And the implication here is, so these figures are from the UK, you can see that a vast majority of companies' climate goals are being hampered by this inability to find skilled talent. And um, in the UK, we have regulations such as CSRD coming out, which is going to affect British businesses, but just 40% of them are going to be ready. And what that means is fines, and what that means is projects that are not done at the speed and scale that they need to do. And there's the other misconception here, which is people, um, everyone is trying to work in the climate space. You have things like Forward, which are trying to get people into the space, but actually this talent graph is growing. It's, it's not getting any, any smaller and it's growing at almost a rate of two times. Um, and really, I just want to take you on to the solution as we see it is since we have this skills gap, um, a really agile way to deploy talent with experts that can spread their skill sets across multiple companies is something that we've seen have serious traction in previous skills gaps in history. So for example, in the technology boom and in the developer boom the last 30 years and introducing Leafa, and that's really what we do. The whole aim of Leafa as a climate freelancing platform is to get you access to climate sustainability skills in hours, not weeks. And we do that with a network of vetted climate professionals. So we have a proprietary vetting, uh, proprietary vetting framework where we use to make sure that everyone on the platform not only is who they say they is, but they're also quality and they are vetted by a team of people, companies can review them, et cetera. And the mission of LIFA is to make in-demand climate skills readily available so that if you're a company with one of these projects, you're not held up by an inability to find talent and you can find it rapidly. And we do this, and at the same time, we gather data. So we're gathering really useful data, not only on skills gaps and skill levels, but also on company demand. And we use that to help companies to share projects more easily. But we also use that to match candidates, to identify skill levels, and then we work to provide partnerships with education providers to actually provide targeted skills modules, like we're doing with the University of Oxford at the moment. We have a project with them where we're providing targeted skills models at lead for freelancers, which we can use to actually say, look, there's a huge skills gap, let's say in the area of carbon accounting. Um, we can match you up with the most relevant modules that will reduce that gap. Um, so Leafa was founded last year, uh, late 2022. Since then, we've had over 40 projects shared by over 30 companies. So we're revenue generating already. And keep me honest on this one, but if you type into Google climate freelancing, with a number one unsponsored result. And we have a really good positioning with freelancers. So we have a two month waiting list. One minute warning. Um, sure. And those are, so we have over 1,200 people signed up. Um, and so we think we're in a good place. 
this is a massive market. Um, our team here, so myself, two-time founder, including a match at Marketplace. Our team includes people who founded climate marketplaces before, the chairperson of B-Lab UK, and ex-McKinsey consultants. Um, and it's a massive market, so a 30 billion TAM. And in the UK alone, we take 15 to 20% of each project. And that means with just a small set of projects, we're already generating or projected to generate uh, in the next year over 200,000 in revenue. And that's just with an extremely small subset of this market. And finally, the vision for LIFA is we use our data that we're gathering, we use our expert network to democratize and scale access to climate skills. And that means training models, creating climate tools in partnership with our experts, and targeted skilled modules as well, which will drive more revenue for us. And your Thank time you is up. Listening. What are you looking for? 300K. Uh, so that's my last slide. 300K is what we're raising with a round opening in the next few weeks. Very cool. Let me pull the other panelists in. And while I do, why do you guys use Upwork as your analogy versus some skills platform? Are you going more for the platform approach to placing the, the jobs as well or more on the skill side? I think very much more on the platform. It's a, it's a heuristic that everyone understands. But I think the difference with Upwork is that we just want to use the data to really target and create partnerships with learning providers, whereas Upwork are just purely focused on the talent side. Understood. Take it away, guys. Just shoot your questions when you got questions. Otherwise, I'll pass the ball around if you guys need a teacher. Maybe just, I mean, in light of the huge potential that there is for that space, I mean, what's stopping the larger kind of more established um, free, uh, freelancer platform players to like go for that space and uh, uh, yeah, uh, and become more easily the reference point there? Yeah, so I mean, for num firstly, we're single service, single brand proposition. So the point for us is really our brand is the go-to for climate skills, whereas Upwork, their brand is really like, hey, I need a web designer for a few hours. So I think there's a fair amount of brand dissonance there. And secondly, it's um, what I just touched on about you go to them if you want to sell your skills and you know that it's a high liquidity marketplace. With us, you're coming to us because it's not only easier to transact, but also we're getting you access to things like modules into carbon accounting if you want to be carbon accounting so it's an opportunity for us to really focus compared to them i equally have sort of like similar question in regards to uh, i think we briefly discussed this nick with um you, you clearly you know you've established yourself as a player in the sector you have you know a little bit of you know first mover advantage but then what is what is it going to be in in the next five to ten years that actually going to make you uh you know stronger and different from you know the the linkedin the hr platforms and the rest of the world that's the your secret sauce i guess yeah so for us it's really and i i touched on it briefly on the second to last slide so what we're gathering here which i think is different to any other skills platform is that two-sided data set so let's say for example clients are coming to us and they're asking again and again for similar projects and we can see trends in the data so i use an example of life cycle assessments and five different clients ask for it. You can see that current tools aren't serving this need. Then what we have on the other hand is a network of people who are the best in the world at delivering lifecycle assessments for clients. We have that data. We know there's a demand and a gap in the market. We can then partner with those experts to build out these tools and build out really user-centric tools for people. And I think building tools on top of that foundation of data is really the play for us. Another one, so we want to scale access to climate expertise is trying to train LLMs and trying to train AI model modules on the combined expertise 
of the people on our platform. And companies like Quiver, which is an AI company, are starting to do this. I think there's a really good play for us there to be super specific about the climate space and try and make it really easy to access these kind of scarce skills. So that's the long-term vision. Right now, we're focusing on freelancing. And first of all, thanks, Nick, and great presentation. And I completely agree with your last point. You know, in terms of the gap in the market, you know, there's a huge gap, both in terms of skills, but also in terms of knowledge. Um, I, I mean, can, can you walk us through maybe in more detail the, the business model and how the, and how the numbers work? Yeah, sure. So um, at the moment, rough size of a project on Leafa is about nine and a half grand, which is the amount that's paid to the freelancer. We take a varying fee from that. It's between 10 and 20%. It's usually about 15%. So each project for us is, you know, upwards of a grand in revenue. They're quite lucrative. These aren't the tiny web design projects I mentioned. We're also starting to take matching fees. So we have a new product where you can just book a call with someone, which is going to be released next month. You book that instantly. It's an hour call. We take a matching fee. We also take 10% of people's first year salaries if they're hired permanently, which is great for us. And then the final one, which I touched on, is um, offering, offering uh, education modules. So if you're on the platform, you want to learn about carbon accounting, we've got a partnership with someone who does that, and we get a small referral fee. Do you maybe say a bit more about how um, you vet candidates and how that is really scalable once you, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. you will get to a much larger pool of uh, experts? Yeah, so so right now, it's, it's a really, I, I really believe in the vetting framework we have. It was developed with some colleagues of mine out of Oxford, and that is a set of proof points across various areas of climate. So it might be, let's say, oceans, biodiversity, carbon accounting, uh, mining, minerals. And we're looking at your application to see not only if you hit those proof points, but also if you don't, can you add value to the space anyway? So let's say you're an amazing designer, you know, ex-Apple and Google. Do you have value to add to climate companies? Right now, that is done in a really static way. You know, we're a young startup. We're doing it manually. Um, we're trying to do things that don't scale. Um, we would want to turn that into an algorithm at the end of the day um, and testing it, training it. And the second way that we'd want to do is just reviews and referrals. So people on the platform saying, look, I know this guy, I can vouch for him. Or, hey, this person did a great job and we would work with her again. And she gets a five-star rating. And then other clients can see that. But, but but I think the way, the way you're saying it right now, and also I looked at the website and I didn't see it. So right now you don't have the rating system yet, right? But you're planning on adding it as you scale and have more traction and more projects, right? Yeah, so right now the ratings, everyone does get a rating. We don't have a way to present it, um, but that is going to come in. And again, the new platform that we're releasing, we're hoping to have ratings on people as soon as you can see it, as soon as you've logged in. Um, right now, what we would do is if a client, again, it's done pretty manually, if someone's been rated, we'd say this person received this feedback from a client, and that would be in the kind of like email automations as they sign up. And just out of curiosity, what's the skill or the job that is most needed based on the, the since, you, since inception? The biggest skills gap is mining and, and minerals that we're seeing. People, which is crazy because it's also one of the hardest to abate, but the, the biggest emitters as an industry. But we're not seeing that. I don't know whether that's a function of like our personal brand, who it attracts, or as I suspect, also a function of the fact that there is a major skills gap in those space because people don't want to go and work for Rio Tinto if you're that concerned about the climate, even though it's important that you do. Are you able to somehow encourage people into those different need to fill positions? Yeah. 
Yeah, good question. It's super important for us. So I think the way, and I would also appreciate ideas if anyone has seen similar ones, but the way that I would like to think about it now is um, we can say, look, we need these people and we also need to know that we have demand because I will also say we haven't had that much demand from mining companies. Um, but if we know that we have the demand, we can say you would get, let's say, heavily discounted access to these courses. And then secondly, is like within our kind of go to market for freelancers, like where are the communities that we're targeting and just trying to drive marketing towards those. But the value prop, I think, being on the platform is like, how can we educate and upskill you and provide you with credentials in the space that we need you to be in? Understood. There's probably a position for partnerships with governments as well to promote strategic uh, initiatives and strategics. They might even pay for your data and what the... Sure. What's the biggest challenge you have? If you fail, why will it be? Um, so I think at the moment, the one that I always, that kind of like keeps me up at night is as a marketplace is, you know, how balanced is it? So like, we have got this really good traction with freelancers. We've got a really big waiting list. Um, we're held back by our ability to get in front of these clients. And I think like we're our own bottleneck on the demand side, people showing projects. So the more that I can drive demand and drive sales, like we generally have really good sales outcomes as every person we speak to seems to see the value. There's a big need in this space, but the more that we can drive with them, I think is one. Second one would be potentially if we have, let's say we need to, we're quite careful about liability on our projects. Um, but if there is, so it's written into our contracts that these are freelance projects, we're not liable for anything that does happen. Just want to be super careful that Everyone is heavily vetted. Everyone is a really good quality um, person who can do really well. And that there's no essentially lawsuits coming out from the project. Um, I see that one as a, a much lesser one than the first. And, and, and where did it take you the, 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 the round that you're fundraising right now? I think you mentioned 400K. So, I mean, one, what's the revenue that you're projecting, let's say, for, for 2024, for next year, but also in terms of team development, et cetera, and product? Yeah, if I can be cheeky and share this slide again, um, sorry, Matt. So yeah, 300K funding, projecting 220K revenue in 2024, 1.7 million the next year, um, and break even after three years. Um, so with that, that is in the first year, four people, um, so four FTE. And then we have, um, I do want to really, really invest in the kind of, the start investing in our technology platform. So what are the cool things that we can do with, um, making the user experience better, you know, capture their LLMs and AI opportunity, I think is massive as well. Um, so yeah, that would be, that would be the main spend. And then the other one is, so I mentioned like getting us in front of clients, just go hard on marketing and sales and our go to market and get people out there, knock on doors. And I think that's, that's massive as well. Uh, Nick, um, because I was quickly looking at, at French base, you know, like it, it, let's say we take Fiverr as again completely sector, completely different sectors, but kind of like would we consider that like a, a successful comparison? I mean, if you were to say, you know, kind of like Fiverr, but for sustainability, it, would that be a great goal? Yeah, yeah. Because, I usually use Upwork, but yeah, yeah. So because these guys have raised 111 million, so that's that's I think. Uh, great opportunity, absolutely yes. Timing is relevant, absolutely yes. Opportunity in the market, yes. So, so I think everyone recognized, tick, 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 all of that. It's just how are you going to create, you know, like, you know, in other words, what is your, you know, 
what if you had a magic wand? What would you what would you want uh, to happen? But what would you need for it to happen? Because it's, it, I mean, it's kind of like surprising to see that you know the three hundred thousand will get you to be profitable, and 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 then that's it. So that's the part that I'm a little bit missing is a little bit more of a, you know, call it a long term vision, but really kind of like stepping up into what you're really trying to build here and what will you need to actually make it happen. Yeah. So um, I guess kind of two questions in there. On so three hundred thousand, there we have priced in a second fundraise um, at some point in the next couple of years as well, and that is going to be market expansion for us. So there's 50,000 businesses in the EU, 170,000 in the US, which are needing to set sustainability goals. If you gave me that magic wand, I think the big thing for us, like the value of the talent pool we have, I know it's there and it's proven, and we're trying to make it super easy for people to transact on Leafa. I think what I would do is just get us in front of as many of those companies as possible and say, look, like we're here. You can see our value proposition. We'll understand you as well as possible and get them in the door. 25% of people who use Leafa post again. So I think they can see the value proposition. We want to raise that number. So for us, really, for me, it would just be driving demand, driving sales on our go-to-market as well. And like being a very young startup, we're constrained on that. That takes a lot of time, but I would invest quite heavily there. One question, I, am, I mean, I'm curious about one risk maybe is, um, do your clients typically tend to work several times with the same freelancer? And how do you avoid them then once that connection has been built to not book outside of your platform, basically. Uh... Yeah. Um, so this is really important as well. Firstly, so once you're on the project, yes, people do tend to work with the same one. It's a lot easier and you know, the people are good. So you want to keep them on. Um, it's in the contract. I know this is easier said than done and people can kind of break this rule, but we have it in the contract that both the client and the freelancer will be completely removed. If they, um, if we find that they've been working with the client without passing it through us, but actually you want to have some behavioral kind of mechanisms to make that easier to do than not. And so for us, that means we will handle invoicing and admin for you contracting as well. So we have a, con a contract template that gets shared, um, access to those discounted educational modules and LIFA. Um, and then what we also want to start bringing in is things like referral fees for clients. So all with the aim of making it far easier to transact on Leafa than it is to transact off it. Um, so that is just more value for you to work with us than it is to take this offline. Um, so that's that's a big one for us. It hasn't happened yet, um, but I'm sure it will. I think these things are inherent in platforms. It's just how much can you reduce it? Awesome. Any last questions, folks? Then Nick, thanks for thanks for presenting everything. Keep thanks, up thanks. the awesome work, and let's see uh, let's see what you can do. Cool. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks. Uh, thanks for pitching. Georgi, you want to go next and share a little bit more about fish? I'm actually starting to get hungry, but I uh, sure. <laughs> I think it could be a fun one. Is your video on? Are you ready to roll? Mm -hmm. Georgi's been in our in our program, uh, Forward VC, for a while now and wanted to share their kind of debut of what exactly they're doing. If you are. Uh, I, I won't I won't spoil it anymore. I've kind of butchered it as it is. Georgi, you wanna you wanna take it away and share what you guys are doing? Sure, thank you. So you see my screen, right? Yep, take it away. Great. Yeah, so thank you, Matt. And so great to be here again and present Aqualitas, a new era of data-driven precision aquaculture. 
As a global appetite for fish doubles, the seas cannot keep up. And by 2030, aquaculture and not the open seas will supply 60% of our fish. This shift is driven by overfishing climate change and a booming $420 billion market. The graph on the right shows a clear trend that as wild catch plateaus, aquaculture production surges. But despite its promises, aquaculture struggles with a staggering 20% mortality rate, leading to a potential 50 billion lost revenue annually. And as demand surges result innovative solutions, we are staring at a 50 billion kilogram shortfall by 2050. And the stakes, of course, are sustainability, profitability, and our goal and our global seafood supply. So imagine being an aquaculture operator. Your success basically hinges on knowing what's in your water at all time. And real-time water quality monitoring solutions promise these insights, but they are prohibitively expensive. And even if you can afford them, they often become unreliable shortly after installation. And it is a lose-lose situation, unaffordable on one side and unreliable on the other. The deceptive simplicity is that water quality sensors get dirty, compromising their data. And worse than that, they cannot self-identify and report the problem, turning these tools of insight into blind guides. And the industry needs the solutions that can see clearly. So Mita Qualitas is a game changer in aquaculture. We built the first AI-enabled self-aware water quality sensor. Our AI, I, sorry, <laughs> our AIT sensor doesn't just provide data, but it delivers real-time reliable insights with minimal maintenance, and it was one of our goals. And the best part is that it is affordable and easy to integrate with existing infrastructure. And currently, we are already running paid pilots in Israel. Our self-aware sensors are deployed at strategic points within the aquaculture system, and the data is uploaded in real-time to our AquaInsight agents that uh, plays a dual role. On one side, it ensures sensor accuracy through autonomous self-calibration, and on the other side, it refines the collective data into actionable insights. This intelligence is then, is then challenged to intuitive dashboard putting invaluable insight at the operator's disposal. And the result is an optimized processes, informed decisions, and a blueprint for better productivity and profitability. Oops. What sets our as a part is a very holistic approach to both technology and the business model. We will build a flexible modular platform that cuts the hardware costs and our AI ensures long-lasting sensors that always delivers reliable data. And with consumable components, maintenance becomes simple. Altogether, we, op we offer a new paradigm. We call it monitoring as a service. Backing our approach are a pending patent, five unique AI models, and three special technology plans. Our platform drastically cuts upfront costs, offering consistent operational savings of up to 80%. Harnessing the power of AI, we aim to have the mortality rates boosting yield quite substantially. And through optimized feed efficiency and minimized chemical treatment, we not only reduce costs, but also champion sustainable aquaculture practices. Over the last eight months, we rolled out operational pilots across Israel, showcasing our technology versatility. In partnership with Paralgi, we have worked on water reuse processes. With Netafim, we have delved into monitoring water treatment for irrigation. And now, as we deepen our footprint in aquaculture sector, we have started collaborations and starting our first pilot programs with industry leaders. To achieve all that, we have built a great multidisciplinary team of both data scientists, water scientists, and experts in the water industry in, in developing sensory solutions. We are backed both by I4Valley, the Israel Innovation Authority, Forward VC, and now also by Inventech in Haifa. 
we are currently seeking a $500,000 safe investment for a transformative 12 months journey. Matching the Israel India grant we have applied to your support will help us to bring our AI sensors to the aquacultural market, showcasing the technology in pilot programs and initial traction. We are targeting over half a million in revenue from sales and subscriptions in this period and preparing us to a substantial seed round and production scale up. We have already secured part of the funds and are waiting for the Israel India grant approval for more than $600,000. One minute warning. Uh, okay, so <laughs> this is the last slide. So we self-aware sensors that can provide billions in savings and uh, a proven team. Our vision is uh, to revolutionize water quality monitoring for a sustainable future. Thank you. And thank you as well, Georgi, for coming on for presenting. Let me bring in the other panelists and pass the ball over to uh, Nadav first. Hi, Georgi. First of all, I'm, although well, while I live in London, I'm actually Israeli and, I, and I've spent most of my life in Israel. Uh, and thank you for the pitch and the presentation. Uh, I'd love to hear more about you, maybe, maybe first, you know, about your background and how you and how you got into this field. Sure, sure. So in my background, I'm a scientist. I have a PhD in physics and nanotechnology from the Technium and 25 peer review papers at the time. Uh, after that, I worked in uh, Germany, in the uh, US and in Israel in uh, different companies developing innovative solutions. Uh, in 2016, I opened my first company. It was a is innovative consulting company. We worked with startups and other companies to develop innovative solutions. And uh, in 2020, with coronavirus, I spinned it off into Aqualitas. Okay, uh, great. And maybe going back to the business, mm -hmm. can you can you explain to me again what exactly are those insights uh, and what's the let's say the raw data uh, that you guys turn into insight that the that the profile of the typical customer is looking for? Sure. So in aquaculture, when you talk to the growers and you ask if they grow fish, eventually they say, no, we don't grow fish, we grow water. So they, for them, it's very important what the water contains. And eventually what most affects the fish is the amount of oxygen in water. So on one side, and the simplest solutions that you can purchase today is basically oxygen meters or dissolved oxygen sensors that measure the dissolved oxygen. But it's, again, they suffer from the problems that I already described of not being reliable enough and also expensive, but also they, again, they just provide the data, they provide the dissolved oxygen. Uh, but what happens in water is because, again, you have the chemistry of water, everything affects the dissolved oxygen. So if you have algae bloom in the water, it affects the dissolved oxygen. The time that you feed your fish can affect the dissolved oxygen. So you have many parameters that are affected, affecting each other. And only by monitoring multiple parameters, what we are doing, you can provide insights of what is going to happen inside the water and how you can protect basically your water and eventually protect your fish. Okay, great. So, so maybe one last question from my side. Uh, and, and can you tell us a bit more in, uh, in terms of the progress and the results that you guys achieved with the pilots that, that, you, that you guys have been doing? Is that paid pilots or, or and, and how does it work exactly? and what have been the outcome of those activities? Sure. So uh, we are working on the developing of this technology for the past years. Again, it's quite complex technology because we have combined hardware and software and AI and everything together. And uh, our initial market wasn't aquaculture. Actually, it's uh, a new market that we are moving into. Uh, so in our initial pilot that we did, our goal was to understand and train the models to basically understand when the sensors start to drift. 
And uh, this is why we did our initial uh, pilots, not in aquaculture, but in different industries like uh, algae uh, growth or netafim with uh, agricultural applications. Uh, some of them were, some, but most of them were for uh, the sake of data, basically receiving as much data as possible from the field because again, you cannot receive the data from laboratory. And then you basically pivoted into the aquaculture and because the market was huge and needed a better solution, more or less kind of stumbled into a good solution. And a more understandable ROI for the plants. Many thanks and uh, and great presentation. Um, just to understand kind of how you're going to start to penetrate the market. Um, aquaculture comes in different shapes and sizes, there's ponds, there's cages, there's rats, there's different species um, for which dissolved oxygen can be more or less important. Um, are you planning to focus on one specifically? I mean, what's really the market entry plan there? Sure. So we are focused on inland aquaculture, so not uh, sea aquacultures. So we are talking about ponds, or we are talking about recirculating systems, so RAS systems that are more technological. Uh, we are in discussion with uh, partners that do develop uh, RAS systems because they do uh, more, more technical guys and they do need the data to operate their systems and uh, for their clients to operate them. Uh, but uh, we are also working with pond aquaculture because eventually this is uh, the big part of the market. So basically going there from on one side on direct, Calls to, to the clients, but also with collaboration with other companies that provide different solutions for the market, like uh, feed, cleaning, and so on. Thanks. And then one question about kind of so the bigger vision here. So, I mean, are you collecting data? I mean, so you're, you're, you are collecting quite a bit of data from your sensors. Is there a plan to leverage that data move, moving forward to offer kind of more? uh more services uh to your clients i mean what's the next step post those insights is, is there um uh yeah. is there a larger vision there yeah, yeah it's it's a great question there are a larger vision and then a huge vision for them so uh, again for any data-driven applications, you need reliable data. And this is where we started from, is developing the sensors that can provide the reliable data. And then the simple insights using this reliable data. But all the business models built upon the fact that we can provide a hardware solution that is more affordable than our competitors, and then adding with our business model of monitoring as a service, adding additional service upon the data that we collect, as you described it. So starting from, let's say, measuring the oxygen, then predicting the oxygen or predicting the situation in the waters and predicting uh, the feeding schedule for the fish. So there are quite a lot of steps that we can go and quite a lot of services that we can add upon uh, the data that we are collecting uh, and will be co collecting in the next coming months. So this is the, the big vision. Now, the huge vision is uh, water in general, because again, water is everywhere and you need to know what water contains everywhere in any industry. We are talking about wastewater treatment, we are talking about agriculture, we are talking about drinking water. So this would be the huge reason for our systems to be installed in all uh, water applications in the future, but the chemistry is different, so we will need to develop more solutions and uh, more smart algorithms. How big, is the, how big is the usage in the wastewater industry? I know you, you pivoted out of that just because they move slowly. But it it was enormous, was my understanding. 
yeah, it's uh, several billion dollars market, of course, all across the world, and it is growing, especially in the fact that uh, uh, there is a pivot toward smaller uh, wastewater treatment facilities, not building you know huge facilities as we have today. So they need uh, uh, water quality monitoring and uh, a lot of uh, push from the side of regulations that uh, today is uh, almost does not exist in this world. Maybe in Israel we have a lot of it, but uh, across the world we don't see a lot of regulation on uh, effluent from the wastewater treatment facilities. But uh, it's coming in. And water reuse, of course, which is also a big application project. Any last questions, folks, on your side? No, just just one. It's um, uh, I know very little of the sector, so I wasn't able to perhaps share some uh, some interesting question. Um, but I guess when I before I arrived, so um, I you know I'm sure you probably know that there's another company called Aqualitas that does medical cannabis. So. Yeah, that again that. yeah so that is it, it's a tiny it's a tiny headache but you i guess you want to get rid of that headache sooner rather than later because yeah. it it just uh yeah you don't want to have a, a name exactly as like a company who's in a completely different sectors and people get confused with so in the future they can be our clients because they're growing cannabis in a, in water and we want you want to have high quality cannabis you got to have high quality water apparently for all you west coast hydroponics guys. is one of our applications in the future of course here we go we got to merge that done okay mm-hmm. bingo what uh why was the why was the indian company so interested so what what is exactly going on with the that, that's actually an update I was interested in as well. I haven't talked yes. about that lately. Of course. So we have a collaboration with an Indian company that develops RAS systems. So RAS is recirculating aquaculture systems, basically closed ponds that you recirculate the water and you treat it and so on and so forth. And they together we are moving into transportation of live fish, basically building and developing smart systems for transportation of live fish that monitor the water quality, control the water quality during the transportation, basically reduce the mortality. Now, if I said that the mortality in aquaculture is about 20%, in transportation, it's about 50%. So we are talking about huge amounts of, of loss there. So with them, we actually applied for an Israel-India fund. And we are hope that we will get it quite soon. Very cool, very cool. And then... Sorry. You're going to go for it, Nadav? No, it's, it's something uh, unrelated, but I wanted to ask you, have you been in touch with companies like Mekorot in Israel or others? Yes, of course. When we started again in wastewater treatment uh, plants, Mekorot was one of our go-to guys, uh, although Mekorot doesn't have a lot of wastewater treatments uh, in Israel anymore. Uh, they were quite interested in the technology, but as Matt said, this market moves very slowly in adopting new technologies and uh, in the past year, the climate changed and they're reducing the risk even more. So this was one of the reasons for pivoting our market to, to aquaculture. Awesome. And thanks for pitching, Georgi. And now is a good time to tell everyone if you guys want to download our, that's a thousand now, climate investors, VCs, corporates, uh, accelerators focused on climate and clean tech. You can find that at forward.vc slash VC database. We've also 
condensed everything. If you want to find all of our resources, our climate solutions database, get your information on there, find companies to invest in as an investor or companies to partner with as a corporate or companies to recommend to your climate uh, to your clients as a sustainability consultant. We've got all kinds of programs for you. The best place for that and to find everything and more is forward.vc. And if you just want to find our resource hub and all of the things mentioned above, forward.vc slash techies hub, the number four ward.vc slash techies hub. We invest in companies that move the world forward. And here's one that may be doing um, just that. I would uh, I would pass over now to uh, Mansoor. Are you ready to rock, Mansoor? Share sure. A little bit. Thank Share you. Share a little man. bit more about what yeah. you guys are doing. Yeah, so you want me to start verbally or go to the slides directly, depending uh, on when it starts keeping However, uh, However you like, I'll add Jason as well in case he wants to talk. Okay, well, appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, Jason is my co-worker. Thanks, Jason, for being here. Thank you, everybody. Great to meet you all. And thanks, Matt, for all the communication and arranging this. Uh, my name is Mansur Masudi. I'm a CEO and founder of uh, MSOL. We are in Mill Creek, Washington, just a little north of Seattle. Uh, we have been in the clean air um, space as a startup for some time, we have developed more than one technology. One of them, which is about CO2 capture is what I'm gonna be talking about in a moment. And we have developed other technologies. I won't talk about them, but if there is interest, obviously we can have a conversation. So um, uh, we are strictly funded by so far by SPIR uh, awards. And let me go to the presentation in the interest of time, but if there are any questions, I'm happy to. Collaborate. So let me share share a screen. Screen. You should be seeing my screen now. Is that correct? Looks good. Take it away. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Uh, yep. So what I'm going to talk about is about a, a proprietary technology we have developed, which is direct air capture of CO2, which captures CO2 at half the common cost out there, given our competitors uh, standing. What is direct air capture of CO2? In direct air capture of CO2, you pull air through contactors, which are monoliths. These not much different from the catalytic converter in your car. These monoliths are, or contactors are coated with an expensive adsorbent, a chemical coating. When CO2, when air goes through these contactors, these contactors act like sponge. They pull the CO2 selectively out of air and store it inside the adsorbent. When you have sufficient capture of CO2, you could either sequester it underground or you could turn it into a variety of products. For example, carbon neutral synthetic fuel, industrial or household products, Lots of applications in food industry, like, such as a uh, soda that you drink got, or carbonated water, etc. Those are all CO2 driven. And a lot of other applications in uh, civilian and industrial applications. Uh, the CO2 level in the air is now uh, exceeding 400 ppm, is more like 420 ppm and rising at 2% a year. That's not a low increase. In only 10 years, we'll be at 500 ppm. We need to bring these down, bring the CO2 concentration in the air down at least to the level of the 1990s, which is about 300 parts, 300 par 
sorry, 350 parts per million. And direct air capture of CO2 is one of the technologies that is being looked at. Why not, why isn't everybody doing direct air capture of CO2? Because cost is its biggest challenge standing in the way. Now there are, uh, there are startups out there working on similar technologies, not our approach, but uh, cost is the greatest challenge in direct air capture of CO2. Here is a cost analysis done by National Academy of Sciences in the US. What they show in there is that uh, out of the total cost of the direct air capture of CO2, about more than 80% of it is due to the adsorbent cost. This is a whooping lion's share of the total cost of direct air capture of CO2. So anyways, we can bring that down we helped speeding up, accelerating, and commercializing direct air capture of CO2. We have developed the solution for this pain point. Uh, it is called a rapid capture, contactor, and optimized process. It reduces the highest capex, which is the adsorbent cost by about 60%. It optimizes the CO2 capture process. It downsizes capture plant square footage. It uh, they all together lower the overall CO2 capture cost by about 50%. It's backed by robust intellectual property in the US and uh, overseas. Uh, CO2 capture market is a rapidly growing market. Before the end of the decade, it'll exceed $7 billion with a compounded average growth rate of 13.5%. Uh, our business model is licensing. We uh, ask for an upfront fee of $2 million and a royalty of 10%. By the way, our business model is flexible, pending what kind of conversation we'll be having with the interested investors coming on board. But 40 second warning. Thank you. We think that's a good one. So far, we have received almost $2 million SPIR grant from Department of Energy exclusively for this technology. We have letters of support from several notable companies here for this particular technology. Here is a list of, I won't go through them one by one. Here's a list of uh, potential interested uh, parties uh, for our technology. We have a robust team across myself, a PhD scientist, apology, let me close this window. Uh, experienced scientists, uh, uh, finance and business strategies and so on. We work with US national labs and universities very closely. And your we, uh, time is up. Thank you. You said you're you said you're looking for two million. That is correct. First, just quick question while I bring in the other panelists. How exactly does the technology work? I didn't Imagine, I don't I might have missed that. That's fine. No problem. So uh, let me go here. Here is air. You it may be near an industrial plant. It doesn't have to be near industrial plant, but you pull air into what we call contactors. Contactors are coated with a certain chemical called adsorbent. Think of them like sponges. As air goes through these contactors, they don't touch nitrogen, they don't touch oxygen, they only look for CO2. That's the beauty of that adsorbent. It grabs the CO2 and stores it. Then there is a mechanism when the contactor or our so-called sponge is filled with CO2, there is a mechanism we can empty the contactors and now we can do with CO2 what we want. Some companies like CarbFix are developing the technology to sequester it underground. 
some other companies which they call carbon utilization turn CO2 into carbon neutral fuel like Fisher Trops fuel or synthetic fuel, most people call it. You can make methanol out of it, you can make uh, um, ethanol out of it, used widely in food industry and in soda pops and other uh, food ingredients, etc., etc. But that's a capture process. The contactor plays a key role in that process. Does that answer your question? Somewhat, yes. You, got, you guys want to take things away? John, you want to go first? Sure. Um, maybe one side question first, because um, you mentioned you're developing some other technologies too. That means that you're fully focused on this company and uh, it's within this company or kind of how how does this technology fit with your general occupation, so to speak, as CEO? I am more than full-time working within MSL. We have two technologies that we have actually developed three. Some of them have won R&D 100 award, German Innovation Awards, and so on. Uh, my time is, um, I would say, two-third, one-third divided between this technology and the other technology, which is also in a cleaner space, is not CO2 capture. And our team is actually almost divided right in between and half. Half of the work, uh, half of the team works in carbon capture and the other half works on the other technology that we are pushing forward. And there is some fair amount of industry interest in the other one, but that honestly is not a, is not a carbon capture technology. It remotely has to do with carbon capture, has to do with fuel economy in cars, reducing, substantially reducing emissions and so on, but it's not a strictly a carbon capture technology. And I'm only sharing that because you asked. Yeah, Which but, one's your favorite kid? I think the future is carbon capture. No question about it. And on the technology itself, how market ready is it? I mean, what's the technological readiness level at this stage? There are a fair amount of activities going on. Actually, in the UK, a couple of you guys are in the UK. Baker Hughes is a big one, snatching startups left and right. Um, we are in TRL3. All our lab work is pretty much done. We have a robust technology. This was, by the way, developed by a, almost a $2 million award from the Depart US Department of Energy, SPIR, non-dilutive, et cetera. We are going to another phase of it in another year or two. And that one is actually matched dollar to dollar, which is a great offer for any investor coming on board. That to the side, back to your question, um, uh, right now, our lab work is done. Proof of concept is done. Uh, DOE is happy with our results. We'll be actually presenting this next week in uh, DOE Department of Energy meeting in, uh, in Pittsburgh. Uh, we are at TRL3. We are ready to push to TRL5, come out of the lab, go to the field, do field demonstration, which pulls us to TRL5. Do we have a working solution? And that should make us ready based on what we see in the market for acquisition by a major company active in this area. Or we can scale up ourselves, do CO2 capture and sell CO2, which is also being a common pathway um, followed by uh, other startups in our space. I mean, so uh, thank you for the for the presentation. Uh, I wanted to, I mean, maybe before I ask the questions, you know, we cannot talk about DAC without mentioning, you know, the announcement, uh, uh, you know, last week that Occidental, uh, they bought carbon engineering. I think it was over, right. I think it was uh, 1.1 billion. 
So I think this would, this would give a very big push to the industry and the market. So this shows yes. in the sector, you know, that there's big exits, uh, potential, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I want to ask you maybe a few questions. One, if we talk about DAC, you know, trying to go below the $100 per ton uh, benchmark, what do you think is the impact of your technology uh, on the cost curve of DAC? And th this is one. And maybe the second question is more in terms of the business model. I'm not sure I, I fully understood. So you mentioned at some point in the presentation a $2 million upfront free fee. Um, can, I mean, can, can you explain to us how, how exactly this would work? Uh, yes. On your first question, given the expensive role of adsorbent in the, in the overall cost of carbon capture, we have developed a technology that needs half the adsorbent and that brings the cost down. Remember adsorbent is more than 80% of the total cost of DAG based on the cost analysis of National Academy of Sciences. We have developed a contactor that when using our optimized process needs 60% less adsorbent. When we go through the math, that costs the CO2 capture cost in half. So that's our cost analysis in, in a nutshell, but of course there is more detail that we can definitely talk about it. But in terms of, yeah, sorry, right, can I jump in just quickly? So the cost that's of the absorbent is 80% of the cost of pulling uh, a ton of CO2 from, CO2 from the air. I thought that it's also, you know, with the cost of, uh, of energy, renewables, et cetera. Energy is a very, very big uh, cost. Depends what energy source you use. If you use renewable, I was at uh, uh, Carbfix facility, which is next to um, Climeworks in Iceland last year this time. If you use, why, why did Climeworks go to Iceland? Because it's all renewable, it's very cheap, it's all geothermal. It really depends on your energy source. <clears throat> if it's wind or solar, it would be even a little cheaper. If it's coming from coal combustion plant, it is not cheap. So a lot of analysis you look from, uh, um, um, heirloom and others, uh, NOAA, their scientists and so on. It really, the, your, your energy cost depends on, I would say right after the adsorbent cost, the energy cost is right up there as well. So you are on the right track though. Yeah. And in terms of your second question, we are asking for, so we have several, we have developed different versions of this technology. We believe it is possible to license, to keep the best version of it ourselves, using which we can go to field demonstration and scaling up, license other variations of it. And that's why for the time being, we are promoting the licensing model. This is ready to be licensed now, some variations of it, keeping the best for ourselves, moving forward, scaling up. So it will be a two-pronged technology to commercialization. Why would pe people license it? inferior product why would they license an inferior product because they would still be able to make money they wouldn't this is, it is extremely common by major i used to work for some big companies out there they license a variation of their technology and they move on with their crown jewel variation of their own technology they move forward with it so they have a two-prong um uh, revenue on their technologies. It is not an uncommon model, though. They can still make money, though. The people who would license other variations of our technology from us. So, right. so you're correct. It would be inferior relative to us, 
but it will still be a money making venture. So good. Nick, you're, you wanted to say yeah. something? Yeah, hi, Master. Thank you for the presentation. Um, just, just a few, few questions. Um, one is um, future applications of the technologies beyond industrial. I mean, if you ever conceive to go into other sectors such as logistic. Second is, you know, for those who don't know the market, if you know, you could shed some lights on how busy is the market these days, especially also following the the, the latest sort of like. Uh, regulatory changes and you know how busy it is uh, how competitive it is and where you guys are strongest beyond pricing and then last question but this is primarily driven by sort of like uh, not a greater knowledge of the market so if it doesn't make sense just you know just uh, <laughs> just tell me but you mentioned in your business model so how does uh, what's the correlation between your licensing business model and the the value of the uh, carbon you effectively in setting from this um, operation. Um, so, what's the ratio between effectively the the value that you are returning in terms of like climate value and and the, and the cost that you're charging, if, if that makes sense. So, four questions: future applications, comp competition and strategic advantage, and business model and relationship to uh, carbon credit. I'll do my best to answer them, uh, Nick, but if uh, we run out of time, we are happy to have a conversation with you on the side though. On your first one, which is a future application is interesting, you said that. We have a proposal in front of uh, a major funding agency, I can say it's Department of Energy, with a major, major energy uh, entity whose name is listed here. It wouldn't be correct if I mentioned which one, but uh, we have a proposal, a large proposal with them in front of Department of Energy, actually just like you said, to apply our technology to an industrial decarbonization, not to confuse that with the regular capture of CO2. There, this exactly this very same technology goes inside a decarbonization chemical process and substantially brings the CO2 capture of that down in the industrial process. That's one of the other applications. Another application is, this is where we got our R&D 100 award. Also funded by Department of Energy, we developed a catalytic converter that takes about 30% less platinum. And that one, just last year this time, it won the R&D 100 award in the US, which is a top US in innovation uh, award though. Um, in terms of the market changes, we follow that very closely. We are aware of accidental carbon engineering. We have spoken with Occidental. They told us they had invested, the answer they gave us was they had invested so much in adopting carbon engineering to do their first uh, 1 million ton plant in Permian Basin in Texas. They were not going to re-engineer. Basically, they said their market positioning was done. Um, there are a lot of regulatory changes in the good direction. There are a lot of carbon credit uh, uh, carbon credits coming. There is um, carbon tax breaks that are coming. Uh, there are a lot of uh, bills coming out there. Sequestration. I believe you can get $45 per ton sequestered, uh, $170, about $50 for it, um, utilizing CO2 into other things. There are a lot of good changes in the market. CO2 market is exploding. Amount of activities I see in the market now is not comparable to what I saw two years ago. 
So hopefully that's a little flavor into your question in the interest of time. In terms of our licensing model and the value that we bring to the table, bring me any direct air capture process, I am confident we can bring his cost down by a being ratio like the ones I have discussed here. That's our robustness of our technology. In terms of our licensing model, there are a lot of details. Obviously, we need to sit down with the interested party and go through the details and uh, have a broader conversation on that. In terms of our business model, this is what we think would be vi viable, which would be exactly as I shared earlier, keep the best variation of our technology, move forward with AVD scaling. We have a one to one dollar match opportunity coming with the Department of Energy while licensing other variations of it to companies that are just ready to get into direct air capture business. So hopefully I answered your question, but if I didn't, I'm happy to have conversations with you on the side. Here is our uh, contact information that uh, I'm happy to entertain any questions. Though. How low will the price of direct air capture be able to go with the, the technology and the absorbance that you guys are using? We are certainly able, so generally speaking, mathematically speaking, bring me a direct air capture technology that uses adsorbents, I'll bring it down by just about half. But based on the analysis we have done using our contactor and our optimized process, we are able, and the cost analysis National Academy of Science, we are able to bring it down just below $100 per ton, which everybody agrees is the breakthrough point for uh, for commercializing direct air capture of CO2. Interesting. No, you know, from, from my side, first of all, I think it's very interesting. And clearly, if you can bring the cost of DAC, you know, by half, this would be transformational. But even by 20, 20%, this will also be, will have a significant impact. My two, maybe two follow-up questions. One, I don't remember on top of my head, what is the total capacity today of DAC? I think Orca is the biggest one, right? Of Climeworks in Iceland. And I think this is about 4,000 tons. So I imagine the total capacity today in operation, it's not much higher than that. So, so the market is still in its infancy. You don't have to yes. convince me that it's going to be a big market, et cetera, and we have to remove CO2 and we're meeting today 51 billion tons. This I'm all convinced. But in terms of commercializing your technology and your go-to market, uh, I mean, what's the strategy and how you're thinking of overcoming this? Um, yeah. Frankly, at this point in time, we are keeping all the options. You can't be a startup and telling investors at the market what you do. You have to see where the market is going and try to pivot according to the market needs. At this point in time, my honest answer is all options are on the table. If a company tomorrow comes on way and says, great, MSL, you did your job. This is your minimum viable product. I'm ready to license this. Give this to me, I'll take it from here for X dollars. That's one model. Another one would be exactly as I shared, that we license variations of our technology, keeping the best for ourselves and moving on. That said, if one of these major companies I talked about come across and says, even I want your best, give it to me, you have done your job, I have more resources to push this forward at half the time, better than you, MSO. What you know, I, I think that's I, I think we need to be open to that opportunity. Given everything equal, my own gut feeling is this technology does have the potential to be scaled up, but I'm not going to jump in front of investors and um, uh, potential interested parties 
It is their money, it is their decision. We are willing to listen and come to some agreements on. So our generally speaking, our business strategy is flexible. We have an idea where we like to go. We think it's very viable. We look at this space very closely. Our competitors are doing pretty much the same model, but I'm not gonna tell investor what to do. We are always happy to listen to their case, see what they have in mind. And if we have to pivot, we will pivot. So the investors driving your ship? We will be we will be open to listening to their interest and see where they like to go. And if we have to mend our strategy to have a joint strategy based on their pitch to us, we are willing to be open and have that conversation. I cannot say we will necessarily agree or disagree because really the devil in this, is in the details. What is it they what they, they like to do? They might come forward and say, I see this other company that has a great process along with your technology is going to make a is going to make a great punchline in this market. Why would I not listen to that technology, to, to that argument? Makes sense, makes sense. So, How exactly did you guys develop all of this technology? So you, it seems like you've got a lot of good connections. You've gotten grants, you've gotten contracts, you've got this project, you've got the other project. It sounds like there may be a third project as well. There are a lot of kids and a lot of things happening. How did you get here exactly? What's the deal? What's the story? It's a great question. Uh, about six years ago, the funding opportunity came out of Department of Energy. It was, can anybody out there develop a technology for catalytic converters that would take less platinum? The U.S. industry alone spends $10 billion a year, that believe it to be, a year on platinum costs strictly for automotive applications. And that's where your catalytic converter, that's why they still catalytic converters, unfortunately. That's where it goes. We went, we went forward the concept, which has a, lo a lot of the strong flavors of this very same carbon capture concept at the time. This was about six years ago. We got the funding, we won, we got the funding with Develop, we work with the Oak Ridge National Lab. We are writing a paper to publish that right now. It blew through the, uh, through the expectation. The Thorne of Energy was very happy with it and it won the R&D 100 award last year. Then this funding up, as we are kind of about to wrap that up, this funding opportunity came up for carbon capture. Can anybody develop a low-cost carbon capture? And we looked into it and said, oh, it's got a contactor. A contactor is a monolith. I used to work for that industry. A monolith is what is in your catalytic converter. It is made exactly by the same companies that are making catalytic converters for cars. It's precisely the same application, same technology. I used to work for them. So it's a, wait a minute. The process is very similar for those of you in chemical engineering. It's a heterogeneous reaction process. Very reduced platinum, here reduced adsorbent. The rest of it is exactly identical. The temperature, there are some variations, boundary conditions are different, it's a, toxins and so on. But actually the bar here was a lot lower. It suggests, I say, you know what guys, we have a proof here this technology works. It worked for catalytic converter, the heterogeneous reactions are very much similar. Let's try it here. The funding opportunity came about, we took it to do it, we won again, we went to phase two of it, total of almost $2 million for this technology. And our technology is robust. We have a lot of, our paper in chemical engineering science just got accepted last year. If any of you are interested, I'll send you a link to the first publication that just got published 
after peer review at Chemical Engineering Sciences, which is a very credible journal, by the way. And uh, we have three more papers coming, by the way, not published this in the review. So that history of developing catalytic converter with low platinum really told us, you know what, guys, this is a good bet. We can be successful. We applied it and it worked. By the way, we are, I'm, I'm editor-in-chief of our international journal in emission control science and technology uh, by Springer. I am, we just reached agreement with a uh, major public, international publishing company to, to establish to uh, establish as editor-in-chief editor a second journal strictly in carbon capture utilization and sequestration, CCUS. We got an amazing editorial board in there. Honestly, in terms of intellectual bandwidth engineering, we have no shortage. We are probably an overkill. It is the funding that we are more like, uh, it will give us a lot more breath to go forward. Anyways, some of the information that might be helpful to you, but hopefully answered your question. So that's how this technology came about. The other kind of parallel of it, developed for automotive application. We knew it would work here. We went for it and the result was great. Very cool. Any last questions, folks? Awesome. Then thanks for pitching, Mansoor. And thanks for coming as well, Jason. And thanks for every everything that you guys are doing. So this is the part of the show where I tell you I had a, a goof up and we had A, somebody, a no-show, and B, uh, a timing mistake on my part. So we had three incredible companies tonight. This is going to be one of our shorter, earlier, easier ones for the, the panelists and folks tuning in. While I'm talking and sharing a little bit more about Forward VC and the startup tank, think about who your kind of startup of the night is going to be. And for anyone who's listening in now, if you haven't subscribed, normally we have a lot more companies and uh, a bit more excitement, but occasionally I've been very busy and occasionally sometimes things just fall through. So that's uh, that's kind of the, the show so far today. We've got three incredible companies. We'll jump into voting in a sec. If you're trying to raise money, then check out our Climate VC database. You can find that at forward.vc slash techies hub is probably the best place along with our Climate Solutions database. We've got a deal share list for Climate VCs that you can find as well on our website, a sustainable and impact investing program for family offices and high net worth that want to break into the space, programs for corporates out there trying to decarbonize, discover new energy, carbon capture, renewables, plastics, recycling, et cetera, innovations, programs to help corporate uh, consultants. So think McKinsey, KPMG, EY, et cetera, do a better job consulting for their clients and sending sustainable solutions their way. And everything that we do is brought to you free and from the love of our heart. So if you want to support us, we've got a bunch of special offers out there for startups, investors, corporates, et cetera, just on different resources that we use and like. You can check those out on, as well on our site at forward.vc slash offers. And now we would jump into the, the last section of the show, and that's our climate startup of the night. Let's see if we can pick a pick a favorite, not of, since you're the, since you're the veteran, do you want to go first? I'm happy to. Um, so again, thank you for having me. It's been it's been a pleasure. Um, no, I, I think all startups. It, it it was very interesting and informative. I think the presentations were good. I'll say uh, a few things. One, in terms of Nick's startup, you know, the marketplace for freelancers and climate. It's not the typical investment that we will do in Nomea. We focus quite a lot. The majority of our investments are in hardware and deep tech. But I do think that there is a great need for that. There's a big question of marketing and branding. 
big issue here will be, you know, how you drive sales with marketing and what's your customer acquisition cost. We didn't really get into all of those details, but I thought the pitch was good and the strategy was interesting and relatively to when, you know, the, the inception of the company, they already have some initial traction. Uh, marketplaces are never easy, but once you scale and, you, and, you, and, you, and you're able of, of building a strong brand, then there's a lot of opportunities. With Georgi's uh, startup, Aqualitas, I'll, I'll, I'll admit that I don't know the space well enough in order to comment, especially not on the technical thing. Um, so, so I'll have to skip. Uh, but in terms of Mansur's company, uh, I thought it's you know it's clear that that you know a lot about the uh, about the space. I think there's still obviously uh, you guys are still you know early days. You said I think TRL three or four, so there's a long way to go. If you can cut the cost of DAC by half then there's a very big opportunity here ahead of you. My advice would be to try and, you know, and be in some sort of a close collaboration or close discussion when one of those, you know, carbon engineering or crime works, because if the solvent is 80% of their cost, believe me, they're spending, you know, over, they're spending day and night trying to, to get that cost down. So, um, uh, so the competition will only become stiffer as time goes back uh, as, as time goes by and as and as DAC starts to scale. Uh, but I thought it was interesting and, and, I, and I know the space a little bit we've spent a big amount of time looking into different types of uh, carbon removal. So 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 this is my recap. I know you wanted the vote and I gave you the the, politi the answer of a politician. Um, do I need to vote now or, or, or should I wait until the you know the other panelists I'll let, I'll let you vote now I'll put you on the hot spot. <laughs> Okay, you're putting me on the hotspot. So I'll say that I thought uh, everyone were great. Um, um, I'll go with Mansur's company just because it's more right up our alley and we like the dark space. Uh, obviously from this short conversation, I cannot tell, you know, I cannot give a more profound feedback on the technology and the technical side and the, and the commercialization path, but it was, uh, it sounded very interesting to me. Thank you very much, Nadav, I appreciate it. And I would, uh, I would certainly second that. John, you're up next. Yeah, sure. So, uh, so well done to everyone. I thought it was all uh, three fascinating companies with with, uh, with definitely great potential. Uh, I know a bit less about carbon capture, um, but um, yeah, if um, if the figures are uh, are uh, confirmed, that that is definitely huge, uh, huge potential. Um, Aquilitas, I know a bit better, uh, that sector, um, dissolved oxygen could be a massive issue. There are already though quite a few players in the space. Um, so I, I, I think it's really key to specialize on some core species like, uh, and some core, um, farming methods like, um, like, yeah, like, uh, it, um, intensive ponds of shrimp, for example, I think would 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 be a really first good step. So I would maybe try to first kind of to understand that clientele a bit better for who really needs that real time monitoring. Uh, and uh, but I think tonight I'll go actually uh, with Leafer uh, because I definitely see kind of the massive gap in the markets. Um, I like the I like the strategy and the ambition. Um, and yeah, the, the, uh, the start of, uh, traction that they're showcasing. Um, yeah, so, so, so that would be my vote 
tonight. Uh, but really excited about all the companies that have presented uh, this evening. Awesome. And then Nick, you're up. Well, first of all, uh, thank you, Matt, and thank you, everyone. Uh, absolutely agree. Uh, three great um, entrepreneurs, three great startups. Um, and uh, I think all tapping onto the, the big climate opportunities and challenges that we, we're seeing these days from different corner. Um, but I guess going into detail, um, for Leafer, yes, absolutely agree. Uh, huge opportunity. There's a great gap out there. You guys move in. Uh, very quickly and establish yourself as a player. It's a great first step done. Uh, concern, again, uh, our, for me, are more about, okay, what's going to happen in the next seven to 10 years? And, and and I know there's, you know, there's no such a thing that a plan. So no plan is ever going to be followed. But I think there has to be a forms of clarity, uh, you know, and just going, we're going to raise 300,000 pounds and that's going to go it. I think it may raise a little bit of a concern because similar marketplaces have raised 110, 120, 160, 200 millions. And, and so maybe on smaller markets, but I think there has to be some forms of uh, at least uh, clarity on you know where your ambition lay in the future and, and how you're going to get there. Because otherwise it's just going to raise some some red flags. Um, so that's so like some, uh, some thoughts on Leafer. But again, uh, keep pushing because the opportunity is there and you're there first. Uh, for Aqualitas, I, you know, again, I think it would have been fair. Uh, it wouldn't be fair to to share any comment because the the knowledge of the market is equal to zero. So um, I wouldn't share any specific feedback um, apart from you know that little headache I mentioned. But again, I'm sure that's um, the least of uh, your your challenges. Um, I think amongst the, the companies, it seems this is the, the company that's bringing like one of the uh, sort of like strongest technology to, to market, the one with the biggest opportunity. And um, again, if uh, if the technology can be proven scaled, then again, the question would be, how do you how do you design your business model and your business aggressively for growth? Because clearly um, I was in an exciting conversation this morning and they mentioned uh, someone mentioned someone who's working in in uh, direct air capture mentioned that um, if Chevron was to if if Chevron was to basically purchase all the carbon credits available, they would probably be able to um, offset their scope one, scope two, but that would be it. There wouldn't be any other like the rest of the world, you know, would, would be empty. So so I think just to understand, hey, you know how quickly and aggressively could you actually uh, expand growth and capture the market? I think that is uh, a, a big question. So happy to continue um, on the side. And um, yeah, and again, also in terms of growth, uh, you know, what do you envision to be the required step for growth given, you know, you know, sort of like CapEx intense business. And uh, again, just a little understanding on the future. But um, again, if if I had to, to sort of like vote, yes, I would probably go for MSO. Mm -hmm. I think I, I think I'd probably go for MSO as well, just because it's the picks and shovels of the entire direct air capture business. I don't think building it and scaling it yourself makes any sense. I think selling the solution to everybody else makes sense because then the market goes up. So I think getting that in line is certainly um, 
will certainly be kind of a, a necessity going forward. Otherwise, you'll build two different businesses. One will distract you from the real business is my my opinion. But I think just from a technology and kind of an impact perspective, it's hard to argue against that. And then from a kind of easy venture perspective, Leafer is has the potential. I think everybody that presented great companies, really, uh, really solid what you guys are doing. But from just an overall mass impact scale, I mean, half the cost on direct air capture is pretty good. Consensus then? Sounds like it. Mansoor, thanks so much for, for coming, presenting. Everybody, thanks for tuning into this shortened section of the startup tank. Normally it won't be like those. It's just you've seen the you've seen some of the resource hubs and databases we've been putting out lately. There's been a lot going on. If you haven't checked those out, I highly recommend it. We've got our climate solutions database on there where you can find all different carbon capture, energy storage, plastics, um, advanced manufacturing, et cetera, companies. Or maybe you're one of those companies and want to find your ideal investors and filter by stage sector, geography, and check size. Or maybe you're looking to connect with other players in the space and set up strategic partnerships, JVs, and get some distribution. Whatever it happens to be, our Climate Techies Hub is for you. Just forward.vc slash techies hub. It's a nice little Notion page. You can find all of the stuff that we do that we've made for you guys, and hopefully it helps you with moving the world forward. If you want to find out more about us and our Partner in Climb program, our accelerator where we go super hands-on to help companies get traction, customers, clients, pilots, and scale. It's just forward.vc, the number four ward.vc slash accelerator. And John, where's the best place for people to find out about the next step in the journey for you? Um, On my LinkedIn, I guess I'll make some announcements soon. Uh, mm. yeah. be, on, be on the lookout. You heard it here first. Not out of Europe. <laughs> Thanks. I'm always happy to, to connect on LinkedIn. If you're a startup, then you can also go to our website at Nomea, uh, and there is a form to be filled out, and then someone from, uh, from our team will reach out. And last but certainly not least, Nick. Um, well, thank you, Matt, and uh, congratulations on everything you guys are building every day. And uh, yeah, likewise, everyone feel free to connect on, uh, I guess, either um, LinkedIn or just hello at Spin VC. Awesome. And if you guys want to find us, we've got our Slack and WhatsApp communities. Highly recommend joining those. It's 3,000, maybe 4,000 folks in there now. And there's actually some pretty decent conversations going on. Nobody's posting porn. We're keeping the spam out. Things are working and we're at three to 4,000. So that's very good news. So forward.vc, you can find the Slack, the WhatsApp, everything in there and hopefully find customers, clients, partners, investors, JVs, etc. just by looking around. That's what we're here to do is move the world forward, hence the name. And if you want to pitch on one of these upcoming sessions, it's just the startuptank.com. You can apply there. It's the same application as our accelerator, and you can choose your own adventure, so to speak. I will talk to you guys all later. Thanks for tuning in. If you haven't subscribed, subscribe, share this with a friend, yada, yada, et cetera, et cetera. You know what to do, not just go do it because we're doing this for you. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to another segment of The Startup Tank, Climate Investor Pitch Show, presented by Forward VC. I'm your host, Matt Ward, serial founder, climate investor, and partner at Forward VC's Angel Syndicate, investing in companies that move the world forward. To learn more about me, download my free growth and fundraising guides, or to get help scaling your company, please visit mattward.io. If you're interested in pitching on a future segment of The Startup Tank, please visit thestartuptank.com. 
And if you're a credit investor interested in investing alongside us in top climate and impact companies that move the world forward, please visit forward.vc for more details and to apply.